the Tennis Gambling Podcast and the Sports Gambling Podcast are now presented by our Patreon. Score exclusive perks, content, and contests, including our NFL win totals contest with a $1,000 prize. Join today at sportsgampodcast.com slash Patreon. We're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Underdog Fantasy is offering you a chance to win $15 million in prizes with Best Ball Mania 4. Use promo code SGPN at Underdog Fantasy for a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. We're also brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app now and use code SGP. New customers can score $200 in bonus bets instantly when they bet just $5 on any college football bet only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code SGP. Welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Game Podcast Network. It is currently late Tuesday night, August 29th. Now, our host, though, is Scott Rochelle, once again, going solo for this pod. Should be a fun episode because it is time to preview the second round of the U.S. Open on the men's side. But before we do that, of course, going to recap the first round, talk about some takeaways, maybe throw in a rant or two, and then we will preview some randomly selected matches by me in the second round, mostly matches that caught my eye that I think might have some value from a betting perspective. But of course, since it is the U.S. Open and there's a lot of players in this event, I'm not going to cover probably half or more of these matches, but I'm going to go through a couple that caught my eye and mention some plays that I think have some value. Starting off with the recap, got to start with the picks. Ended up splitting the lock and dog picks from round one. However, did win the dog, so we actually did make some money into the first round. For the lock, we did lose. We ended up having... Diaz Acosta to go over his team total of 18 and a half. And unfortunately, he got buried in straight sets. Isner actually played very well, so props to him. I did dare him to win in straight sets, and he did. Only one tiebreaker, but still, Diaz Acosta just could not hold the serve regularly. And Isner, I don't believe, faced a break point in the entire match. So, simply put, Isner was just playing very good tennis, and D- and Diaz Acosta really just couldn't do anything about it. So, picked up a loss there. Then, for the dog, ended up picking a nice winner, as we ended up having Momo on the money line at plus 142 against Kashanov. Really bad price by the odds makers, and we were all over it, because, once again, Kashanov had not played a singles match since the French Open, and Momo was actually in pretty good form in the tune-up hardcourt matches before the U.S. Open. So, Momo buried him. He won in straight sets, so uh, never in doubt there. Momoz probably should have been favored in that match. I wasn't even sure Kashanov would finish the match. But still, point is nice winner there for the dog. So we did make less than a unit, but still made some profit. And on top of that, all the outrights we gave out, nobody lost in the first round. I know that's been an issue in the past. Occasionally we give out a, I don't want to say a favorite, but maybe a decent long shot and they lose early. We managed to avoid that. So hopefully you can uh, see these guys make deeper runs than just the first round. But... Just to throw it out there, we have still we we still have all of the outright picks alive at this point in time. So wanted to mention that. So overall, a pretty decent episode, but hopefully we sweep here in the second round. So I'm going to recap based on day. I'm going to go from Monday to Tuesday and then start previewing some matches from Wednesday and Thursday, starting off with the Monday card. Overall, pretty fun. A lot of five-set matches and a lot of very competitive matches. Starting off with the early card, uh, team looked very good against Bublik. I filled out a bracket and I had team winning. I said that Bublik, after he won his grass tournament and when he was transitioning over to hardcourt, 
I said he was an auto fade. I said that on the podcast several episodes ago because I did not think Bublik would care. He did not. I remember that was before the Monfi match and whenever that whatever that tournament was, and I thought Monfi would beat him because Bublik I just figured would pack it in for the hardcore season and just take a nap basically, and he did. He didn't care. I know he also didn't exactly have some great quotes during the match where he may or may not have called team disabled, and there's a lot of stuff around there, but I don't. I only speak English, so once again, that's based on interpretation from people that speak his native language, but I cannot confirm nor deny what he said. So from what I heard, the quotes weren't great, but it's Bublik, so you can't say that you're totally surprised. We'll mention, though, for Bublik, the really uh, hilarious part of the match was him double faulting 17 times. So there you go. Team advancing. Nice job by him. Moving on, you had Morozin who won a five-set marathon against Gasquet. No shame in Gasquet there. Gave it a good run, winning back-to-back tiebreakers, but he ended up running out of gas, and Morozin beat him. Uh, you had Vashka losing in five to Sarundalo. I like Sarundalo in that match, and I had him in the bracket, but Avashka, once again, bad year, blow a two-set-to-nothing lead, and I can't say that I'm totally shocked. You had Zhang blow a two-set-to-nothing lead against Wolf, but he held on to win. So, nice job by Zhang. Uh, besides that, we had Manorino to win the quarter. He won in four against Watanuki. I, I like Watanuki. I think he's a good player. But still, uh, Manorino ended up winning in four. Fakina buried Giron. Good to see Fakina in good form. And then you had your first upset of the day, first serious upset. You had Rune, who ended up losing in four sets to Baina, which was a bit surprising. But I can't say it was insanely shocking because Rune was in very bad form entering the U.S. Open. He had some injury issues in the tune-up events, and Baina just buried him in four. It wasn't as shocking as, I'd say, Medvedev losing in the first round of the French Open after winning a Masters 1000 event on clay. That was kind of shocking with both Wild, but the point is this one wasn't as surprising, but still a very disappointing ending to the season for Rune. I've said it in, uh, before, I'll say it again. I don't think Rune is going to win a Grand Slam probably ever, until he fixes the, the uh, durability. He gets hurt too often, and to be honest, I don't exactly like his overall box. I think there's a lot of distractions in there. People think that he's a bit of a crybaby, and maybe that's because he was raised to be a little bit entitled, but I do think Rune doesn't exactly have a ton of mental toughness, and he's not exactly the toughest physically, and I think that's the main reason why I don't trust him to make deep runs constantly in Grand Slams. It's why I really don't give him out that often, to win a quarter, it's because usually his body breaks down. Usually at some point in these three to five set tournaments, he doesn't really last that long physically, and we saw him once again lose early in a Grand Slam. You had Rude, who survived a bit of a scare there against Nava. Besides that, you had Mensik, who is the 17-year-old who actually looked very good against Barreri. Solomon qualifying, fun player. think he's going to be a pretty solid top 20 guy in the future. Besides that, you had Nakashima, who continued to have a really bad performance with his year. Really goes hand-in-hand. He got buried by Dejir in straight sets. Fuksovic's beat Korda. In five, very fun match there. Korda had some chances but could not convert, and Fuksovic took his, I don't want to say lone chance, but his best chance to win the match, and he did. Korda, Wimbledon favorite Korda, according to him, ended up falling apart once again. Congratulations, you're still a meme. Uh, nothing more to add there. Varius ended up cashing another lose first set win match play, uh, our signature Hall of Fame play from this year earlier this year, Varese cashed it again against Kekmanovic as he lost the first set and came back in one and four. Besides that, Vesely ended up beating Kakaud in five. Really not any takeaways there, but good for Vesely. Musetti lost, which was kind of shocking, to Drogit. 
Drogat's a relative unknown French player, but it was still a nice win. Drogat was around plus 550, so a very nice plus money price there. Besides that, Fritz ended up beating Steve Johnson handily. I don't know how Johnson has re hasn't retired already, but that was embarrassing. Laheshka got buried by Karatsev. I wrote Laheshka off, basically, saying that he's a head case, and Karatsev showed up ready to play, and Karatsev buried him. Paul 1-4, and four, Eubanks 1-4, and four, uh, Felix lost again. What else is new? Uh, he's probably had the worst year of anybody. Uh, besides that, any other takeaways? Not really. Uh, the rest of the card was pretty straightforward on Monday. Nice performance, though, by Sitsipas, who ended up burying Raonic. One in straight sets, and not a single set had more than 10 games, which most people probably did not expect. And then Djokovic buried Muller in the final match of day one. So, once again, decent amount of five-set matches, maybe an upset here and there, but a lot of fun tennis. And that segues into the Tuesday card, which, to be honest, I thought was a lot worse than the Monday card. I know that you still had an upset or two, but for the most part, not many insane marathon matches early in the day. Then things kind of picked up later. So looking at the early matches, you had Phil's beating Greek Sport in five. Very fun match, 7-5 in the final set. Phil's came back from a set down 2-1 to be exact, then won the final two sets. Nice job by him. Besides that, you had, you had a retirement with Kubler, who got injured in the second game against Arnaldi. Purcell lost to O'Connell, which was kind of shocking because Purcell was in very good form on the hard courts leading up to this event, but he ended up losing in four. Uh, Schwartzman lost, not exactly surprised. He did not get a break in the entire match, and Rinderknich just served very well. Bad year for Schwartzman. I've mentioned it before. Not much more to add there. Uh, Zverev had a nice win against Vukic, one in straight sets. Medvedev beat Balas, 6-1-6-1-6-0. I have no idea how Balas made the overall draw. He's been really bad for years. I don't know how he made the main draw, but yeah, have fun. He won two games the entire match. Uh, besides that, I mentioned Momo beating Kashanov, so I'm not going to mention it again. Mickelson looked good against Ramos Vinolos like he should have. Uh, besides that, you had a marathon match between Dimitrov and Mulcan, where Dimitrov ended up winning from two sets down, fought off three match points, and ended up winning 11-9 in the Super Breaker. Match took four hours and 37 minutes. Had another upset right after it with Sue, or Hasu beating Kokonakis at around plus 400. Kokonakis, I mentioned, is a head case before, but I did not expect him to lose in the first round of the, of the U.S. Open. But simply put, uh, Sue was just better. And that was really all there is to it. Besides that, you had Murray winning comfortably. You had a rematch of the Winston-Salem semi between Baez and Chorich. And this one was more one-sided as Baez won in straight sets. Two separate 7-5 sets to start. But once again, uh, Chorich not exactly playing great uh, against Baez. Baez just seems to have his number. And that was the story there. Uh, I mentioned... Isner winning in straight sets. Draper looked good. Thompson retired, which was kind of upsetting after the first set against Zanschult because Thompson was having a decent season for the last couple of months, but he got injured and had to retire. Dimonaro didn't have an easy win against Skatov, but he ended up winning in four. Uh, besides that, Yibbing had a nice five-set win against Lahovich. Hussler ended up going up two sets to nothing against Hercatch, and then he fell apart because he's Hussler, and Hercatch came back and won the final three sets. Uh, Warenka looked good against Nishioka, one in straight sets. Echeverry won a five-set marathon against Vertanen. Uh, Monfi came back from a set down and won in four. And then to wrap it all up, you ended up having Alcaraz win because Kempfer got injured. And Kempfer ended up holding serve when down a break in the second set, held the serve to make it 3-2, and said, I'm out of here. And he left as, her, as Alcaraz 
ended up advancing. And once again, uh, him and Sinner had a very easy go of it in the late matches. And that's basically it. So once again, overall, pretty fun first round. Not many upsets, but a couple here and there. Some decent big plus money prices if you found the right options. But still, a lot of the main guys are still there, which is good. And hopefully you get some entertaining matchups in the next couple rounds. Also forgot to mention that Nishikori was supposed to participate in the event, but ended up withdrawing, which was very upsetting, as he ended up being replaced by Duckworth, who ended up losing in straight sets to Alves. But still, Nishikori being a late scratch was upsetting, but I wanted to mention that too. Now it's time to get into some of the actual rants or segues I'm going to mention. The first thing I'm going to mention is the somehow never-ending career of Venus Williams, because I've mentioned several times on this show and on Twitter repeatedly that she should retire because she's embarrassing herself out there. It's like watching the end of Roy Jones Jr., or if you're a UFC fan, the end of Tony Ferguson's career which is still going on, by the way. I think Tony Ferguson's a perfect comp to Venus right now. It's embarrassed. There's really no way around it. She was supposed to face off against Bedoza, and you assume she'd get buried. Then Bedoza ended up getting injured, so she got scratched. And you're assuming, okay, Venus is against a last-second replacement, and her name is Minin, who I'm sure most people never heard of. And Minin was only a minus-160 favorite, give or take. So Venus plus-130 seemed like they were giving her a shot. At least that was initially what the odds were. I believe it closed at, like, plus-175. So money did come in on Minin. But the point is the odds initially were relatively close. And Venus went out there in what could be her final U.S. Open in front of a pretty packed crowd and won two games. 6-1, 6-1, get the hell out of here. That's how that went. Minin buried Venus. Retire. You're a waste of space in these events. You're stealing actual entries from players who can make potential runs or even win matches in events. I know she's an American icon. I know that she's an all-time great tennis player. Congratulations. That was five, ten years ago. You got to at least read the room. You can't play anymore. It's fine. I think, once again, if you want to let her play some events, that's fine. Let her qualify. It's a waste of space. The idea that somebody could not get into the draw because Venus stole a space and got blasted again for pretty much the, I don't even know, like an, what is it, like an 80, 90% chance of her getting buried in every match she plays in. It's a waste of space, it sucks, and it's a bad product. I get that people are fans of Venus because of what she meant in past decades. We're in the 2020s. It's over. Go home, find a hobby, do something. But tennis isn't it. So once again, Venus lost comfortably. Wanted to mention that again. Please retire. I've had enough of watching you get killed. You're also on TV all the time, and nobody wants to watch you play. I'm convinced even Venus fans don't want to watch her play anymore. So once again, Venus, please retire. I've had enough. Go home. Do something that's not involving tennis. Get a hobby. Try knitting. Try to play pickleball. Do something. But tennis isn't it. Tennis is over. So anyway, wanted to mention that. By the way, I realized that we, we've we uh, gone through a couple of topics so far in the podcast, and at no point did I mention that it's the 50th year anniversary of equal pay between men and women at the U.S. Open. Have I mentioned that before? It's the 50th year anniversary. Did you hear that before? Let me say that again. It's the 50th year of equal pay between men and women. Have you heard that yet? Anytime somebody says Billie Jean King's name, take a shot. You'll be, you'll be drunk in 10 minutes. I got to mention the presentation. It's been a catastrophe. Now, once again, I'm not against 
once acknowledging the importance of equality in today's society, and I'm not against the importance of women's rights. I understand that women have come a long way in this country in terms of rights, whether involved women's suffrage and everything onward from that point forward. Seneca Falls, I'm sure you've learned about it in American history. The point is, I got to at least bring up that they can at least try to stop forcing this information down our throats every five minutes. We heard you the first time. That's all I'm going to say. Put some type of patch on the shirts. Put some insignia on the court. I don't need the commentators to tell me about Billie Jean King and how awesome she is every 10 minutes. And I also don't need a 20-minute presentation with guest speakers. Billie Jean King, I can understand. Because once again, it's she was a big reason why this happened. She was a champion of equal pay in women's tennis. So I understand her impact. Why the hell is Michelle Obama speaking before a Djokovic match on center court? I don't know what she has to do with anything involving tennis. You just wanted to get powerful women in society, I guess, to speak. I don't, once again, really know what her purpose was besides, once again, praising Billie Jean King. And then on top of that, while we're all waiting for Djokovic to play, two-hour delay, by the way, because Goff's match went long to three sets, why did a random singer come out and start singing songs for like five, ten minutes. It was very, very weird. Then once again, she put on some glasses and kept saying, we love you, Billy Jean King. We love you. You're an inspiration. Shut up. We heard you the first five minutes of the presentation. You don't need to jam it down our throats. This is a big reason why a lot of people do not think that sports and politics mix now whether you agree with that statement or not this is an example of politics in sports to a certain degree that's a little bit overkill because once again i get it if you want to mention it have a patch or something leave it on the top corner of the tv monitor i get it but a 20-minute presentation to delay the only tennis match that people want to see at night which is Djokovic is a massive waste of time. And I feel bad for everybody in the arena who had to sit through that for about 20 to 25 minutes. But it's once again, just a situation where I acknowledge the importance of equality in society. Women's tennis flexing like this, at least for the US Open flexing to such a degree is such a, just a strong level of virtue signaling that it's cringy to me how they constantly just bombard you with the same fact over and over again as a way of, I don't want to say like subtle hypnosis, but it's definitely subtly throwing shade at the other three Grand Slams, saying, hey, you see Australian Open? You see the French Open? You see Wimbledon? Yeah, we, 50 years. We had 50 years of equal pay. Look at us. We're clearly the best Grand Slam because we started paying women more first. I get it. Shut up. Nobody cares. We want to watch tennis. That's all I'm saying. Now, you can argue it's an important, once again, it's an important fact that is worth discussing. That's great. Discuss it for two minutes. I don't need half an hour of you telling me the same thing we already know. Now, there's a separate conversation, which is the Billie Jean King impressiveness or lack thereof of her victory against Riggs and whether women should be actually paid equally to men in, men, in uh, tennis. I don't want to sound sexist, but I am going to be honest here. I do not think men and women should be paid the same for Grand Slams because, mathematically speaking, playing three sets out of five is significantly harder than playing two out of three sets. I'm not against women getting paid the same as men. I'm against women getting paid the same as men when they're playing less overall games in matches. And I think that if the men are going to play, 
an hour plus longer on average. Why are they getting paid the same? Like, I just don't think it makes any sense. The argument is we want equality and we want it not to be separated by gender. I don't care about the gender. I just want people to get paid based on body of work. If the men are playing more tennis, more hours on the court, why are they not getting paid? Most jobs pay per hour. And if the men are on court more than women per hour, or there's more hours involved, then why are they not getting paid more? Like, I don't understand that at all. So I wanted to mention that. I'm not against women making the same as men if they play the same amount of tennis as men. In two out of three set matches, the smaller tournaments are not Grand Slam based. Sure, pay them the same. Masters 1000 events, regular 250s, pay them the same. I'm fine with that. Two out of three sets, they're playing the same amount. Three out of five compared to two out of three, that's ridiculous. Men should get paid more. That's my stance. Then you have the Billie Jean King situation, which is a really slippery slope because I know no matter what I say regarding this, if I roast Billie Jean King, some people's gonna t- some people are going to twist it and they're going to immediately say that I'm a sexist. But you know what? It needs to be said. I think Billie Jean King's win over Bobby Riggs is one of the most overrated sports achievements in the history of sports. And I feel like this needs to be discussed. Once again, I know we got to get to round two matches, but I want to mention it. I feel like none of people acknowledge that it took place in September of 1973. Now, this was a three out of five set match. Billie Jean King won comfortably, one in straight sets. I get it. Billie Jean King was 30. She was in the prime of her career. Bobby Riggs was 55 years old, and nobody cares. 55. The guy is in the middle of getting like Medicare or Medicaid, and he's in the middle of playing tennis. And it's not even the embarrassing part involving Billie Jean King winning. Before Riggs played Billie Jean King. Riggs beat the number one women's player in the world, Margaret Court, one of the greatest women's players of all time. Reminder, Riggs is 55. Riggs won 6-2, 6-1. 6-2, against the number one player in the world, and he was 55 years old. So I acknowledge that Billie Jean King got some revenge, you know, on her behalf, but the biggest achievement or the biggest moment for women's equality in sports is arguably Billie Jean King beating a 55-year-old in tennis who's retired for about 20 years. There was a movie made out of it. Decent movie. Steve Carell, Emma Stone. I recommend watching it. But still, that needs to be mentioned. I think that the battle of the sexes actually kind of accomplished, in hindsight, when you look at all the factors, more harm than good because it was the second battle of the sexes. The first one, once again, was a 55-year-old curb-stomping the number one women's player in the world. And then Billie Jean King won, and now we heralded Billie Jean King as a god for beating a guy that was retired from tennis for about 30 years. Now, I'm not condoning anything that Riggs said. He had a lot of sexist comments about women belonging in the bedroom, in the kitchen. I get it. There's lines to be drawn, and that was cro- that was past the line. So I don't agree with the comments that he made. But the argument that Billie Jean King had the most important, I'd say, victory in women's equality in sports by her beating a 55-year-old retired tennis player, I think it's embarrassing and needs to be talked about. They also had a couple of battle of the sexes after that, or they had one more where Connors ended up beating Navatilova in straight sets in 1992. But I do think it's worth mentioning that the Billie Jean King victory over Riggs, which is so, which everyone is so enamored by, is really kind of weird to praise when you factor in that he was 55 years old like i get that once again riggs ended up beating court and it's a nice win and riggs was kind of a pig for all the comments that he made but flexing a top player in the world beating a 55 year old as your main proof 
that men and women deserve equal treatment in sports is hilarious to me. And I feel like that needs to be mentioned. But anyway, that might age poorly uh, based on how people are going to take that, especially if there are any women listening to the show. Apologies if you're offended, but I'm just being honest. It is what it is. I'm going to be honest about it. If women want to get paid equally to men in Grand Slams, play three to five sets. Simple as that. Um, it's not even a matter of sex of sexism that's based on math. And I'm, I feel like math, once again, is a pretty good way of solving whether or not they should be getting paid equally. But anyway, moving on to the actual round two matches for the U.S. Open on the men's side. Starting off with the... Uh, which match do I want to start off with first? I'm going to start off with the Sissipas against Stricker match, which I thought was a pretty interesting matchup when I first looked at it because Stricker was playing very good tennis against Papyron in the first round. I thought he'd win in straight sets based on how the first two sets went. Then he had a bit of a lapse there in the end of the third set, lost the set, regained his composure one and four. Sissipas looked very good against Raonic. I think Sissipas should win. But it would not shock me if, if uh, Stricker won a set here. I think Stricker's actually a pretty solid young player. And I do think that when you're looking at how this match should unfold, I can see a world where Stricker wins a set. And you're looking at over three and a half sets of minus 110. Uh, I think that's a pretty decent way to look at it. Now, Sitsipas could bury him. I'm not saying that, once again, Stricker's guaranteed to win a set. But I like what I saw. And I do think that Sitsipas, we know, can be a head case at times. Unforced errors can be concerning. Stricker's a very difficult player to play against, and Sitsipas has been very bad historically against lefties. He's a really bad player against lefties, so I think Stricker's actually pretty live to make this match interesting. I'm not picking him to win, but I do think he can make this match competitive. I don't mind the six and a half games. I don't mind the over three and a half. I think Sitsipas wins in four or five. Now, moving on to the next match I'm going to talk about. It's going to involve a matchup between... Where do I want to go with this one? I think Dejir Gaston isn't a very interesting match, but I just think Dejir is going to win pretty comfortably. It's minus 220, give or take, on the actual money line here for Dejir. I think Dejir is going to beat Gaston pretty comfortably. Like I, I don't think Gaston's that good of a player, and he ended up winning his first-round match against a relatively unknown Japanese player who I don't think is very good. Went to three sets. First two sets were close. Third set was... Uh, first two sets were not even close. The third set was close. But he ended up beating Shimon Bakuro, who I'm sure most people never heard of. So beating a qualifier doesn't really mean much to me. Dejir buried Nakashima. Now, Nakashima is not a great player based on his form this year, but he's comfortable on hard court. I think Dejir should win this match pretty comfortably. Like, minus one and a half sets for Dejir is currently available at minus 125. I think that's a great price. I, I think Dejir is once again going to probably win in three or four. He's got a good serve. Gaston's undersized. And Dejir, I just think, is more comfortable on hard court. Give me Dejir in three or four in that one. So give me the minus one net sets for Dejir. Now, moving on to the next match, I'm going to look at Karatsev against Baina. Now, both players enter this match in good form as Baina ended up beating Rune and Karatsev ended up beating Laheshka in straight sets. The price is fascinating because Laheshka, I think is a player that was battling serious fatigue. So you can argue that Karatsev had a compromised opponent in the first round. So did Baina, because Rune has been battling some injuries in the last couple of weeks. So it's kind of a balance. It kind of balances out when you think of it that way. But I do think it's worth mentioning that Karatsev is definitely the more comfortable player on hard court. Baina is not a great server by any means. I think that Karatsev probably wins in three or four as well. So minus 145. For the set spread here, I am tempted by for Karatsev. I think he wins comfortably. 
Then you have Zapata Marias taking on Djokovic. Uh, Djokovic is roughly infinity. Uh, he's not going to lose, simply put. Zapata Marias was pretty good in the first round as he ended up beating Quinn. So, good win there by him, but you're against Djokovic now. Have fun. He's going to get buried. There's really not much else to say. Djokovic is going to kill him. Uh, Marias can't really serve. Djokovic did not exactly serve that well as the match went on against Mueller, but he was good enough. But the games are at 26 and a half. Spread is at 10 and a half. The problem is really finding value that I actually like in this match, and I really don't see much. I, I just think Zapata Marias is going to get killed. I think that he's going to put up more of a fight than Mueller did, but do I see Marias winning a set? No. Do I see him winning more than three games in a set? Maybe a 6-4 in one of them, but can I see a 6-0? Sure. Like, I think Zapata's going to get buried, so I think I'm leaning to the under 26.5. I can see a 6-2, 6-2, 6-3 type of scoreline, which goes under. So give me Djokovic to win comfortably once again with the under 26.5 games. Moving on to the next match that I'm tempted by. Very fun match between Team and Shelton. The odds are pretty even for this one. You have Shelton at minus 137, and you have Team at around plus 110. Shopping around, though, you can find better prices. So Shelton is minus 120. I found even money on Team. I think the wrong player is favored here. I'm going to actually go with Team. Shelton looked good after the first set against Katchen. But Katchen's more of a clay court specialist. Team beat Bublik, who's a head case, but Team, I just think, is the better player than Shelton. They faced off on clay earlier this year. Doesn't mean anything, because Shelton is extremely new to clay. Uh, team looked good, 1-6-2-6-2. I see a marathon, though. I see this going 4-5, or five, so I am going to lean to the over. But I am going to lean to Team. I just think Team is the better player. And Team also had a pretty easy first-round match against Bublik, because Bublik was punting half the time. So Team should actually be pretty rested. And I think that, once again, Team is in a good spot to cash as an even-money underdog here, or maybe plus 105 you shop around. But give me Team. I like the value there. I think Shelton has been playing better lately, but I still think his game is very raw. I'll take Team to get the job done in this match. Uh, besides that, am I tempted by anything else? I think Paul's going to beat Safulin, but Safulin is 1-0 in head-to-head. It was on clay earlier this year. But Safulin, I think, is actually not that bad on hard court. I think that he can make this match interesting. Maybe four sets, maybe five, but I think Paul's going to win. Uh, what else am I tempted by? I think Manorino is going to beat Morozin relatively comfortably, but I'm not sure if I can find value on it. I just have a hard time backing a guy that went to five sets against Gasquet. I think that Morozin might be a little bit short on gas in the third set onward, so I think Manorino is just going to wear down Morozin. It's the first matchup, and Manorino is a very unique player to prepare for. I think Morozin is going to be in trouble. Besides that, I really don't have much else. It is a really bad slate of night matches in the U.S. Open for the second round day. The night matches, you have Root against Zhang. That's fun. Only to the over three and a half sets there. You have Offner against Tiafo, which I guess can be competitive, but I really don't care. And then you have Varius, our boy, once again, first ballot member of the Gambling Hall of Fame, taking on Fritz. And I don't find Fritz entertaining to watch, so not many entertaining matchups. So those are going to be the ones I focus on for preview purposes. Now, moving on to the Thursday slate for the second round, you have an interesting match to start with Alcaraz against Harris. Now, I don't have odds on this. Alcaraz will be favored by a bunch. Harris did not get broken the entire match against Pella. I'm not saying Alcaraz is going to lose, but can I see a world where Harris covers a pretty large spread? Sure. I think Harris can serve well. 
enough to lose a bunch of six fours. But if Alcaraz is going to be laying what could be a ton of games, I think that you might find some value taking the dog here, who's a very good server, to just hold serve. I just think that's as simple as that. We know Alcaraz has some unforced error issues. Maybe he'll get broken once or twice. But Harris looked good. And I think that once again, he can keep this match close. Maybe go to a breaker in a set, but I will go with Harris plus the games if it's anything north of, let's say, seven. If it's anything north of seven, I'd probably consider taking Harris plus the games there. You have Berrettini taking on Rinderknecht, which should be a lot of fun. Berrettini's minus 500. I understand it. He was very good against Umber. Is 500 too steep? Probably. I think there might be some value on Rinderknecht maybe to win a set. But I think Berrettini is going to win the match. Then you have Draper taking on her catch as the next match, which should be a lot of fun. Her catch is 2-0 lifetime against Draper. They faced off on clay in Monte Carlo. That went to 7-5 in the third. And they faced off on hard court in Antwerp. That also went three. Draper had a very easy win in the first round against Albert, while her catch came back from two sets down against Husler. But Husler also got injured, so... Her catch kind of got gifted a very easy uh, final couple of sets there. But I do think with her catch playing three hours and 12 minutes while Draper had a pretty easy go of it in the first round, I like Draper there. You know, we faded her catch before because I've compared him to Kevin Anderson, who's a guy who's pretty much all serve and no rallying ability. Draper's a really good returner. And I know he's good on hard court. Now, the problem with Draper is durability because he gets hurt all the time. But I do like the value on Draper. I think that her catch is a very, I, I don't want to call him overrated because I feel like most people don't think that highly of him. I think he's an overseeded player where I think he's good, but not great. And that's why he loses a lot early in grand slams. But Draper's a tricky opponent. He's a lefty, good returner, keeps the ball in play. And I do think her catch might be tired after having to go five sets against Husler, who is playing some really bad tennis for the last couple of months. I like Draper in that matchup. Uh, besides that, you have a very fun matchup between the youngsters with Arnaldi taking on Phils. I think I like the over in that one. It's tough because Arnaldi played a set in one game and Phils went to five sets. So fatigue angle definitely favors Arnaldi because Phils' match was three hours and 58 minutes. But I do think this match should be close. I'm going to lean to the over on this one. Maybe a five-setter, but I think you're going to see a pretty fun match. Uh, you have Jari against Mickelson. I think Mickelson's pretty live at plus 130. I know Jari won in four against Van Asha. I really didn't think he looked that great, and he probably should have lost the fourth set, but he ended up coming back and winning in a tiebreaker. Mickelson had an easy go of it by beating Ramos Vanolas. I see the over being a very tempting play here. I see a lot of uh, potential breakers, a lot of holding serve, and 40 and a half, I just think is too low. If you get a tiebreaker with three other six fours you end up getting 43 so once again i think you're in a good spot to maybe get a seven six six four six three six three that still goes over that line's 41 i like the over at 40 and a half there i see a lot of holds and not many breaks so give me the over in that one uh besides that i see an interesting matchup between momo and isner now momo's actually favored a minus 125 and isner's even money now for this match, I understand why Momo is favored. I do I don't want to acknowledge, though, that Isner actually played well in the first round, and he's going to retire when this match is over, or when the tournament is over for him. So maybe he can find something inside him emotionally to get him past Momo. I just see a marathon. I see another four or five set match 
Uh, you have the over-under at 42. I like the over. I think Momo can do a better job than uh, Diaz Acosta of actually uh, holding serve on a regular basis. And I do think that, once again, you could end up seeing what could be a marathon match. I like the over at 42. If you, if you can find a 41.5, I would prefer that. But I think you're going to get at least one breaker, a decent amount of long sets, and you might get four or five. So give me the over in that match as well. As for the side, I guess I'm leaning Momo, but I really don't have much on the side. I'm going to lean to the over in what I truly think is a coin flip match. Uh, but moving on to the other matches, you have Rublev taking on Monfi. Monfi didn't exactly have an easy go of it against Taro Daniel in the first round. One and four with a tiebreaker at the end. He was down a break early in that uh fourth set, I believe, and came back and won. Rublev had a nice win against the last second replacement because Rusevori ended up withdrawing. So I think Rublev's going to win this comfortably. I know Monfi once again is in good form, but I have questions about his overall stamina, uh, which has been an issue in the past, and Rublev, we know, is a top 10 player in the world. I think Rublev wins. I just think it's too cheap of a price. Rublev, you're looking at the price right now, and it's around minus 160. That feels a little bit short. I think Rublev should be around minus 200, minus 215. So I'm going to go with Rublev there. I think there's value. Uh, you have a matchup between Sunigo and Sinner. I don't really have much to add for that match. Maybe Sunigo can take a set, but Sinner looked really good against Hoffman. I think Sinner wins that comfortably. Uh, Zan Schulp and Evans might be a sneaky five-set candidate match. I can see that being entertaining. I think I'm going to lean Evans, but once again, I do think that's going to be a pretty entertaining match. Yibbing and Altmaier is interesting, too. Uh, uh, Yibbing and Dimenauer. I don't know if I just said that, but I meant Yibbing and Dimenauer. Uh, Dimenauer is the favorite at minus 300. Yibbing had a five-set war against Lahovich. Then again, Dimenauer didn't exactly look that sharp against Skatov in that match in the first round. Probably Dimenauer in four, if I had to guess. I think Yibbing can take a set, but I'm going to go with Dimenauer to win the match. And the last one, you have Altmaier against Verev. I just think Zverev's going to win pretty comfortably. They faced off on hard court, though, in the Australian Open, and Zverev did win in straight sets. But there were two tiebreakers attached, so maybe Altmaier can keep it close. But I realistically see Zverev winning in straight sets. Maybe a breaker, but maybe a 6-4-2. So maybe some competitive sets, but I think Zverev just wins in straight. So that's going to wrap it up for the... Uh, second round preview of the U.S. Open. Now it's time for the Lock and Dog picks, but before we get into any of that, kind of a quick word from our sponsor. We're brought to you by DraftKings. College football fans, are you ready for week one? DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking you up with a can't-miss offer to start the season. This week, new customers can bet just $5 in college football and score $200 in bonus bets instantly. Anything can happen in college football. Your team can go from unranked to dynasty mode in just a couple of years. Change comes fast. The only thing that's a lock is the great offers from DraftKings Sportsbook. Life's more fun when you're in on the action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook now and use code SGP. New customers can score $200 in bonus bets instantly when they bet just $5 on college football. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code SGP. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details and state-specific uh, responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after they are issued to you. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at Sportsbook.DraftKings.com slash football terms. 
We're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. August is almost over, and you know what that means. Time is running out for you to draft your fantasy football team on Underdog Fantasy. Get championship ready for your home league by trying out best ball on Underdog Fantasy. All you do is one live snake draft, no waivers, no trades. You set it, forget it, and Underdog does the rest. Try it out with Underdog's Best Ball Mania Tournament, the largest fantasy football contest of all time, with $15 million in total prizes up for grabs, including an absurd $3 million going to the winner. Do you have what it takes to win it all? The time is now. The last day to draft your fantasy football team is September 7th. Visit underdogfantasy.com or find them on the App Store and use the sign-up code SGPN to get your first deposit doubled up to $100. It's underdogfantasy.com, promo code SGPN. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. We're also brought to you by our Patreon. Make sure to check out the SGP Patreon. Sign up for the Patreon to get exclusive access to... to exclusive contests, including the NFL Win Totals Contest with a $1,000 first place prize. This week's Patreon Pick'em is all week one college football. The Patreon is a great way to, to uh, support the network and fight back against corporate gambling. SportsGamePockets.com slash Patreon. SportsGamePockets.com slash Patreon. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing the second-round matchups in the U.S. Open. Now it's time to get into the lock and dog picks. Forgot to mention, by the way, I did skip over the Murray and Dimitrov match because I hate both players, so I didn't bother. I am an only to Murray, though. He's around even money, and Dimitrov's off a five-set war while Murray won in straight sets. I'll lean to Murray in that one at even money. Wanted to mention that, but of course, I'm not going to pick that match because I can't stand both players. But anyway, getting into the lock for the show, it's going to be in the matchup I mentioned before between Gaston and DeGier, and I'm going to take DeGier minus one and a half sets at minus 120 on bet 365. Simply put, Gaston had a nice win against a relative unknown, but DeGier looked really good against a pretty good hardcore player in Nakashima, and DeGier is a better server. He's got more firepower, and Gaston, we know, since he's undersized, not his fault, he's not a great server. But I do think that DeGier is the better hardcore player by a decent margin, and I do think, once again, with the tune-up matches leading into the U.S. Open, DeGier's in better form. So give me DeGier minus one nap sets at minus 120 as my lock. And for my dog, I am going to go back to a matchup that I mentioned before between Shelton and Team. I'm going to take team on the money line of plus 110 on bet 365 as well. Simply put, I don't think Sheldon should be favored in this match. He struggled early on against uh, Katchen in the first round, while team had a very easy win, basically a bye in the first round against Bublik. I know team's been a bit of a head case, but Shelton, I know he's a good server. The problem is I don't think Shelton's really good at anything besides serving. And I do think since he's younger, he might struggle in some high-pressure situations against team. But team finally... Got the monkey off his back. He finally won a Grand Slam match for the first time in a while. I think he builds on that in front of a crowd that usually would support the American, but I really think it might be 50-50 because team's one of the most liked players on tour, and he's also a former champion here in the past. So it's a pretty interesting crowd dynamic for this match, but I am going to go with team on the money line at plus 110. You're giving me the more proven commodity and the better player, in my opinion, at plus money. It will not be easy. I'm telling you that right now. I don't see team winning in straight sets, probably four or five, but I am going to lean the team to find a way to get through. So once again, the lock and dog picks for the show. The lock's going to be on DeGier, minus one and a half sets at minus 120 on bet 365, and the dog will be team on the money line at plus 110 on bet 365 as well. Until next time, uh, you can find me on Twitter, Rice Show Radio. Find me on the NBA show, the MLB show, uh, the WNBA show. You get the point. I'll be back once again for the third round onward in the U.S. Open. Until next time, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.